0: I look at services, time is all you have to sell. So time is money to me. Welcome to Diesel
1: Stories, where we sit down with professionals across the industry to hear about their journey. I'm Jacob Finlay, along with Chris O'Brien. Today, we're talking with Ray Clark, Director of Training and Development for Truck Country and Stoops Freightliner. All right, Ray, welcome. Uh, Great to have you on the podcast.
0: Hey, well, thank you for the invite.
1: Well, uh, you know, you are well known in the industry for your training and uh, for your work that you're doing over there. And it's truck country, but you guys go by a bunch of different names. What's, uh, I guess, what do you know it by? And uh, maybe tell us a little bit about the company you're with, and then we'll go through your story.
0: Okay, so yeah, it's... It's a little bit of an umbrella type deal. So we've actually a family owned and operated Freightliner dealership, family source, that's called the McCoy Groups. But under that McCoy Group, they're kind of uh, the lead company. And underneath them, we have Truck Country, that Mm -hmm. is a dealership between Iowa, Wisconsin, Stoops, which is another Freightliner dealership between Wisconsin, or I'm sorry, Indiana, Ohio, and then I believe it was two years ago, they bought into John Deere franchise and they also have a John Deere construction and forestry, seven dealerships in the Midwest. And on top of that, we have a a sister company, Foodliner and Questliner that is in transportation itself. So Under under the big umbrella, there's transportation equipment and Freightliner truck dealerships. So, wow. That's awesome. I work under yeah. I mean, and that's what's cool about it is that this literally is going into the fourth generation that's going to be coming up involved in the in the company now. And each and every one of those have not literally been handed the keys to the forest per se. They've they've had to walk the walk and and get to where they're at today. So it is cool to be working with a family that's started from the bottom up through and knows every entity of it.
2: Ray, I'm familiar with that. My father-in-law's third generation. So they're trying to work into their fourth, but I will say this, we don't have the uh, John Deere hookup. So I need a, I need a lawnmower for our uh, lawn and I'm going to look you up after this podcast.
0: Okay. I can't, I can't guarantee anything, but uh, we'll see what we can do. Uh, it's a to retail price, right? <laughs> Ray, I, <laughs> yeah. I won't ask
1: you that. I already bought my John Deere lawnmower a couple of years ago. Like, hey. lucky
0: the good thing is though you you're saying the right words it's john deere
1: <laughs> of course of course well let's uh maybe we can go back in time a little bit here so uh we wanted to talk to you about your story how how did you get to where you are today and um what's your story in the in the diesel repair commercial repair industry and um really appreciate the notes that you sent over to kind of give us a guide but maybe get us uh get us started uh are, you're not part of the family right it's, you're, you're working for the family. So it's not your family. Is your family kind of, uh, do you have the tradition of being involved in diesel repair, commercial repair, or are you kind of the pioneer?
0: Um, a little bit of, of kind of both. So if you circle back way back, uh, from my start really is I'm a Northern New York kind of guy that, uh, moved out Midwest seven years ago. So hmm. my upbringing, I have, uh, I was adopted at two, and then got a biological father that had a car dealership. That was, you know, I was still around, I in person with him, and and very much in relationship. Nothing was ever, you know, where that separation was completely split. I was very much involved, and my dad that adopted me had an excavating business. So not only did I see dealership status, I saw an excavating business. So everything with tracks and tires. Uh, growing up was in my avenue every day Hmm. and that dad like was like never I mean I I almost think like that was the curse word if you ever talked about um, hiring a mechanic or somebody or somewhere a piece of equipment so it was like I'm gonna buy the manual I'm gonna buy the parts and we're going to fix it ourselves so that's kind of where my start of i i guess the wrenching mentality came from uh, besides the fact I'm, I'm very very curious of how things work what's the nuts and bolts of everything so smelled it.
1: okay got it so and we so if you don't mind let's just explore this so you're adopted it too and you don't have to give us all the details, uh, if you don't want to, but so you are essentially raised by, uh, your biological father and, or you at least knew your biological father and your adoptive dad, obviously.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, still, like I said, still stayed part of my biological dad, but, uh, had the separation there, but my adopted dad, you know, to me, uh, for the most part, that was the one with owning the own, his own business and stuff. And, uh, when I reflect back now, it's like the, the common sense that he kept driving into me and the work ethics really. And, and the mechanical aptitude was like, you can do this. I saw a guy that literally, um, both of them actually very successful in businesses, both of them leaving school, like at eighth, ninth grade back in the day, you know, in the, that time frame is, and then becoming successful business people that, you know, you can look back and say, Hey, that's, you know, I kind of want to be like that. So, um, it really drove me a little more to, I guess, to be that kind of guy. And today more of a leader than a follower for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, so you're kind of born with it, born into yep. both dads doing something on the repair or kind of, uh, kind of the commercial side. And so upstate New York. Yeah. What say. part of, so upstate is not Albany. It's like Finger Lakes, right? I, oh, yeah. me, I'm from Arizona and I, I've never totally understood that. What part of New York were you? Were
0: so you- when I say upstate, yeah. So everybody, when they're from New York City and you hear upstate, they just think Albany. Uh, the Finger Lakes is what we consider the West. And actually, I guess you could even more for upstate for me would be Northern New York. So the Adirondack area. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I literally was. Um, I I kind of jokingly say that I'm forty. I was forty minutes south of the Canadian border. I mean, I could be on my motorcycle and cruise into Canada and take a trip around and come back for the day. So I was literally off the east coast uh, area of Lake Ontario in the foothills of the Tug Hill Plateau region, which is literally just in the foothills of the Adirondacks. So
1: Lake wow. Champlain, kind of.
0: Uh, just, just west of Lake Champlain.
1: Okay. Wow. Got it. Got it. Yep. And today you're not there anymore.
0: Nope. Seven years ago, Lock, Stock, Barrel took my wife, my son and moved to the Midwest, to Dubuque, Iowa, uh, to a, a new, uh, endeavor that I have no regrets.
2: Nice. Awesome. Well, our yep. family's from, uh, what we called upstate New York, which was Rome, New York, Rome, Syracuse area. So, yeah.
0: So you guys were, would have been like sixty minutes south of me. All right. So, have you heard of Plasky? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Plasky—that would that we would travel to. We were fifteen minutes uh, northeast of Plasky in a little town called Orwell. Interesting. Okay. In so. The-
1: so you, so you grew up there, um, yep. upstate, call it upstate New York and just left seven years ago. What happened in the meantime? So you, you started with truck country seven years ago.
0: Yep. Yeah, truck country seven years ago.
1: So, uh, take yeah. it from, you know, you're adopted to, you've got, uh, exposure to both your dads. Um, what, how did you get your start in the industry?
0: So the, the cool thing for me, looking back at it was, like I said, I was that little Northern New York boy. We had uh, what we called BOCES, and it was a BoTech add-on school. So 11th and 12th grade, I took heavy equipment repair and operation. As a senior, Ohio Diesel Tech came into the school, and of course, they test out the students. Uh, before I knew it, after the test, I had the recruiter sitting at my kitchen table with my parents, and I was signing... Uh, my, my next uh, 18 months after graduation away, and I went on to Ohio Diesel. So, Ohio Diesel at that time frame, and that was, let's see, that was 86 when I graduated, and it was an 18-month course, and it was very new where they combined auto and diesel together that you would go through the training on. So, to me, that was pretty cool because I, I kind of had a little experience uh, with both auto and diesel, and uh, moved in that avenue, so that was, that was cool for me. I came out of there, and my first job, of course, I went back working with my dad with the excavating business, and I sit there looking back at it, saying, I- I'm, I'm really not getting any return of interest on my school that I went to, and I would really like to get to a repair shop, so when, winter come about in the excavating business, all we had to do was push snow around. And I mean, it's not like we had anything light. we typically would have like 300 inches of snow in a a snow season. So, but it was like freed up my days and it was like, okay, so we're not doing much. Maintenance is down in the winter time because we've caught up on a lot of stuff. And I knew one of the local little independent shops, both lived in the same township and I started working there. So that was my true start to actually working for somebody else as far as in the, in the wrenching industry and the, and they had, for the most part, it was all automotive work, but they had a bay that would fit a a semi into if you could squeeze it in. And uh, so we, you know, do some maintenance stuff and they utilize my, my resources and education. So I stayed on top of it there. Of course, my dad always had. Um, between him and his his logger friends, there was always something in my dad's shop that, that I was tearing down and overhauling or doing something on.
1: So you go to Ohio Diesel and forgive me for my ignorance, but Ohio, that's a technical, technical college, right?
0: Correct. Yep.
1: Are they still around by the way?
0: They are. Um, they've changed their name, their look, their format. Uh, so we called it Ohio Diesel Technical Institute. And I believe it's just called Ohio Tech now or Ohio Diesel Tech, they've kind of shortened it up. They've kind of really got that, uh, I don't want to compare them apples to apples, but a UTI look where they've they've branched off and they've got straight up automotive. They've got fabrication now. It looks like they've got some body or fabrication um, courses so that you can, they've given more lanes and more opportunities to kids in there.
2: Now, is that similar to like an ASC certification that you, you come out of there from Ohio Tech and you have, you have like a certification that's recognized across the industry?
0: So when I got out of there, it literally was just a uh, certificate. So the industry that knew Ohio Diesel was producing some very good students, um, it knew that it wasn't it. So it wasn't really an ASE certification on a national level. But I think nationally, they were recognized enough from a large fleet that uh, as we started graduating, they had uh, recruiting classes in a sense, and you would go in and uh, you'd meet everybody. I mean, I had, I remember Boston Buffalo Transport was there at that time, J.B. Hunt, I believe there was some Schneiders in there. So you met all these either local, regional, or national type companies that were looking for technicians to hire from.
1: It's interesting. So, uh, they come in, Ohio diesel comes to your school, 12th grade, and then you have a recruiter. I'm thinking about the movie Moneyball, where like, uh, Billy bean has the recruiter sitting at the kitchen table. He turns down a scholarship to Stanford to go play for the Mets farm system. Was it kind of like that? I mean, you paid to go to Ohio diesel, obviously. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I paid. And it's funny that you say that because throughout my years of, of high school, I was also pretty avid hockey player. So I was at at Syracuse, New York. I was at Syracuse at doing one of the tournaments and we were towards the end of our tournament and we finished up the one game and, uh, my, my, I was goaltender and I just was, I was hot the whole time of the tournament and the referee came to me and, caught my parents and I as we were leaving there and he said, Hey, uh, look, I don't know uh if you've got any plans for college or anything, but I've got some contact at Brown University and, and I, I think I could probably get you in there. And my dad instantly uh, he's all sad he's going to Ohio diesel tech. So it was like oh, well, you no. just mentioned that. I was like oh yeah clip at the wings bing.
1: I believe school. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I was just like um Okay. So I could have gone somewhere possibly with, with maybe some athletic scholarships or whatever, but uh, Uh looking back now, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I I really, I really love what I'm where I'm at today. Not that it didn't have some hurdles to get here, but I, I do like the path that I took now that I look back.
1: Interesting. So you, you could almost honestly tell people you had a choice between Ivy league and diesel repair and you and you chose diesel, or you, his father chose diesel. Oh,
2: chose diesel.
0: <laughs> <So> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of had that answered <laughs> already for me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Back that's in the day, th- that's how it was, Jacob. <laughs> uh, your dad just told you what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, okay, so interesting. So you go to you go to Ohio Diesel.
1: Um, you've got the excavating business back home. You're helping in the shop there. You wanna you wanna find something. You landed an independent shop because things are slow in the winter. Yeah one day, almost one day shop. And, um, so at, at this point, are you, are you, are you married? Do you have kids or where, where does that fit in?
0: So the kind of the story to that one is I had a high school sweetheart that literally is still with me today. Um, Congratulations. so yeah, I was not married yet, but, uh, no kids. And then, uh, we went through, um, with that, Just kind of bouncing back and forth. And that's where it was like, okay, hey, look, uh, I'm out of college. Uh, They bought, my parents had bought a small parcel of property and said, hey, you pay the taxes. It's yours when you get out of school. So as I went through Ohio Diesel, I was paying taxes on this little parcel and got out and put a little small trailer up. And it was like, okay, I'm never going to live in a trailer. I'm never going to live in a trailer. What do I do? It's like, okay, hey, it's the only thing I can afford. (laughs) So I put a little trailer up and her and I moved together and kind of started our uh, our life together. And uh, in the industry side of it, for me, it was that drive to, like I said, my curiosity of how things how things tick, how things work. And the independent shop couldn't just, they just couldn't give you any of that training. You know, it was, Napa could come in and they could give you training training based on their parts uh you know the clutch company could come in and give you a little basic background on their clutches and stuff so it was like ah, i really want more and i went to the sh- local chevy dealership and i applied for a tech uh technician's job and the guy said oh, i'm sorry we don't have any technicians uh openings right now i said but i do i am looking for a service advisor so i said okay well how much does it pay and i and I'm trying to recall what it paid, but it was, seemed like it was a 2 or $3 pay cut compared to what I was doing. And I said, man, I said, I'm making more as a technician. And he looked at me and he says, yeah, but you're not productive as a service advisor. Well, years later, I find out that really you, you are kind of productive as an advisor. But to get my foot in the door, I took the job. So luck to have it. Literally, I believe it was that first week that I was there as a service advisor a technician left and opened the door for me. And I rolled my toolbox in that same week. So that started my career in the auto world and getting more training. And I ended up with um, the Chevrolet franchise and two dealerships, um, 14 years.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. Nice. So, all right. So let me just say, so you come out of Ohio diesel, um, great school, I'm, I'm sure, but you feel like there's still things you got to learn, right? Yeah, you need the experience. Yeah, you need experience, and you're saying like small shops. A lot of times they don't have the resources um, to to train these technicians, and, and and you kind of felt that if you like, you got to be dealing. I mean, your current role today, you're doing training there, in your big organization at Truck Country Stoops and yep. so right. Um, so that that does make it tough for small shops so you experience that first hand. And man, imagine a world where a a shop actually turns away a qualified technician. Like yeah, we just don't live in that world anymore. No, right? the world
0: doesn't.
1: <laughs> yep. um, unless you guys are doing that, Bray. Are you guys doing <laughs> that over at Stoops, Truck No,
0: track? No. no we 'em we'll we'll you know our, to me it's like I don't care if you're a twenty year seasoned person and and you come from Say a Volvo or a Mac dealership. You know what? It's just uh, it's just a different style of training. Learn our product. We've got the we got the training center and the facilities and the resources to to put that knowledge into your head. So,
1: and I imagine you guys are not turning people away.
0: No, no, not at all. The
1: opposite. You're trying to find people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you were, So you you're willing to take the pay cut to learn. Um, you felt like getting the exposure as a service advisor, or maybe just getting your foot in the door was worth the pay cut.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, to me, I think it was getting my foot in the door, knowing that it was a, a dealership, that it was more, it was like the next level up, I guess, back then when you looked at, it. I think it's probably still is, right? When you look at independent shops, although there are some very good independent shops, I don't want to take anything away from that because there are some very good uh, independent shops that that do a lot and as much as they can. But when it comes more OEM branded and specific um, you know, there's usually more money backed and support behind that.
1: So you felt like you were going for the brand name Chevy dealership that they it would basically take care of you.
2: Yeah. 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 You yeah. see it also in like tires. There's a, like when I was growing up, there's a lot of used tire shops, miscellaneous tire shops, discount tire really wasn't on the scene. And then when they came, it was, oh, there's benefits to this job. <laughs> you know, you just aren't out yeah. on your own with no bennies and you can have a child and there's insurance and that you have vacations and stuff. And so and if, a lot of independent shops are able to pull that off. Nowadays, like, a great job yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in the eighties and the nineties, it really wasn't uh, prevalent. Um, I, yeah. I, mean, I was in high school, uh, turn And yeah, there was, if if you cut your finger, it was your mom's insurance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the, and the funny story is reflecting back then. So it it wasn't just the one single independent shop that I worked at. There was a couple in between times, but the same mentality that I had back then I have seen, and I bet you guys have too, is that my toolbox has wheels. I'll roll it to the next shop if they pay me a buck or two more if the bennies and everything looks the same, my box was out the door. I, so there was a couple independent shops before the Chevrolet dealership that I rolled into and out of. Um, and it literally was for a buck or two an hour more. I mean, I literally had to go across town, it, but I gained an hour, a uh, dollar, an hour more, $2 an hour more.
1: You made the trailer and, a little bit nicer.
0: Yep. And, uh, but I'm, I've, I've kind of heard and seen that same thing in today's world, even that I think some people leave out the, I always say, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side. It's just a different shade of green. So think of it before you go.
1: Hmm. And it's it not really better. It's just different.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: We
2: have to say too, that if you, if you tend your lawn, it may look greener over there, but it's probably cause you're not tending your own lawn. So, you know, just if, if you, if you're putting into like um, you get what you put into work, right. You, you're exactly. All, Sometimes you're in an environment where you have like a tyrant of a boss who's yelling and I think Jacob, you have an example of a throwing chair or something. If you're in that kind of environment, you're probably not going to make it very far. Right. Um, but if you have a, a, a great environment, you got good people. Well, then you, you, there's you could be your own misery. Right. Like if you're just not happy uh, for whatever reason, you um, Uh, the the grass isn't always greener. Just look at what you have, look at the resources you have, look at the technology you have in your shop. And if you're around good people, sometimes it's, uh, it's worth a lot more than just 50 cents or a buck.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Very much. So Ray, you landed the Chevy dealership after a a couple of independents. And so you were there until you moved to Dubuque seven years ago, you stayed there. Uh,
0: Nope. Nope. So I had some, I had some other avenues in between there. Um, So the, As I was at the last Chevy dealership, there was a very large, right there in Syracuse, uh, car rental place. And I worked at a Chevy dealership there in North Syracuse. And the car rental dealership just down the street, and I forget where my connection was. I believe it was one of the friends of mine. And he's like, dude, you got to come over here. They'll give you a couple bucks an hour more. We work on all Chevy products, 90% of it and stuff. And we really could use a technician. So, I went down and interviewed and I was like, yeah, but I'm going to lose, man, I'm going to lose all that training. I'm not going to be flat rate anymore. I'm not going to have those hours. And, uh, but you're like the rate.
1: You like flat rate.
0: I personally like flat rate. I was mad at myself if Wednesday <laughs> came and I didn't have 40 hours in the bank already. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> I, I enjoyed flat rate. Now that was in the auto world. Um, I know it's difficult and things have changed a little bit, but, um, a, to me, flat rate can be good and bad in a couple of ways if we wanted to get on that subject shortly. But, you know, it makes a tech more efficient, but it also can make some techs cut corners too much. Right. So uh, if you were held accountable, and that's why I think for me it was good because the service managers I ever had working flat rate held us accountable. I mean, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. If your warranty time wasn't met, and you put four hours on the job and it only paid 3.8. That service manager come and grabbed your ticket and he deducted you two tenths. It, it, it is what it is. It didn't pay four hours. It paid 3.8. You got deducted the two tenths. It wasn't the dealership's fault. If you had a comeback, you got deducted. So it was like you would know where to cut your corners and be very efficient and not jeopardize the repair at all. Yeah. Makes and sense. That, that was to me the best way to to work flat rate was to be very efficient and i'll call it cut corners and and but that's where you shave time so you knew what you could shave time without jeopardizing the repair and and like i said if you were held accountable then you wouldn't have to worry about it because you knew you did
1: come in the other direction right healthy pressure right yep so um just if you don't mind um just want to try to unpack that so obviously with flat rate, you're paid for what you bill essentially. And I get the comeback thing, right? So if I, if I do 50 hours of work in a week and I've got five hours of comebacks, I really only did 45 hours of of work, right? Right. I should be docked that. And then what were you saying about the warranty time?
0: So back then what it would do is you would, you would stamp your time. Um, like I said, so if it was a four hour job, we, we would look things up and uh, try to get close to, um, stamp in that time frame of what that SRT was, but if it came back and say they deducted two tenths because of overlap of some sort, I mean, you didn't know that right. As a tech until that service manager, he was the guy that processed those claims at that point in time. Oh, got it. For warranty and price, then,
1: claims. Oh yep. yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay.
0: Yeah, yep. So nowadays before, um, we do any, uh, I believe the way most industries look at it is they have, they actually have in a sense, um, warranty clerks. So techs turn in their jobs, uh, they're looking up SRTs and then when the invoice is closed, you you kind of know what your hours are gonna be on that job. Yeah in the flat yeah, rate world. That, so
1: yeah, yeah. or but they can tee it up beforehand.
0: You you know, know. Yeah, go Chris.
1: I, I was just
2: wondering efficiency. So there's, there's flat rate. Were you ever in, in an environment where um, the, the shop was trying to, um, if you worked 40 hours, they were, they wanted you or held you accountable to invoice 40 hours of work. Um, is that, I know flat rate inherently kind of pushes that cause you don't, you, you don't get paid unless you're billing, but in an hourly environment, did you ever work where there was efficiency standards?
0: So in any of the shops that I've ever worked at, it was all based on flat rate, but, as a manager, we did do hourly based on a seat, So it was based on reports back. Are you 110%? And yeah, uh, like you said, you're here, you're punching for 40 hours. You've actually billed out 45. So you're kind of five to the good. So if you were a flat rate and that was the for me as a manager, that was an easy way to sell it. It's just when you go back to those texts that are in question of, I don't want to do flat rate. I'm just going to lose. I'm going to lose. You go back and just pull this past six months prior to their work and then go back another uh, six months and give them a full year recap and say, by the way, if you were flat rate last year, you would have made X compared to what you stayed on your hourly. And that's usually when they see that and they realize that they could have made more hours and more dollars, because I think the big thing is that everybody that comes into it typically doesn't, and they're not aware of the flat rate and how it really works. So they're very scared and skeptical to move into the flat rate role.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's especially when there's not a lot of work, right?
0: Right. Exactly.
2: That's yeah. So yeah, it's we're it's not always seeing, an issue. Right, right. And we're seeing some folks that are doing a hybrid where they're saying, all right, we're gonna keep it hourly because the techs maybe the techs aren't interested in flat rate and in um commercial diesel. However, if you bill, you know, 125% of standard, there's bonus dollars. There's like yep, exactly. bonus, bonus, or bonus dollars that come in weekly. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, you grew up uh the way you grew up, um, the son of business
1: owners, um, it, you, it flat rate almost like instills that in you. Even though you're technically working for somebody, the the better and more efficient you can get, so the better as a technician you get, the more you're rewarded, right? You can afford a nicer house or whatever. It's to re- directly in your relation to how well you've developed yourself as a technician. It's, I mean, I love the upside of it. I get that there's downsides, but yeah, but yeah, it sounds like you really embrace that.
0: Well, and and the other thing, even with excavating my relationship or correlation is, is I look at services, time is all you have to sell. So time is money to me. And it's when you look at excavating and you, you bill by the hour, right? So you've got X amount of hours to pay for that piece of equipment to either a level the ground, dig that ditch, do whatever it is. So it's not, there's no hard parts that you're billing them for. It's billing them for the hours invested. And to me, that was what I guess, that that evil thing in my back of my mind was my dad was saying, "Come on, hurry up! Time is money. Time is money." Mm. And then going into the mechanical side of it, that okay, well, if I stand here and and suck a cup of coffee down BS and arts counter, I'm losing time. That's mm. money, right? So uh, yeah, that's been instilled in me that whole perspective. That and I try to preach that and coach it when the guys come in new, and and I use the format in the formula where I show them on the board that if you have a shop at 20 techs, they take two minute breaks five times a day. And I do the math for them. And exactly. said, this is what you guys, so you guys all want more money in your paycheck. You guys all want the raise. You want that big fancy tool. If you look on the board right now at that number, that shop could buy you that tool. Couldn't they? If, if half of you just drop down and, and, cut the BS sessions down. So that's kind of the thing I, I look at because, and I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to be a slave driver. You, there's break times, but the wasted time is money.
2: You know, it's interesting you say that, right? One of the things I, uh, I like about, uh, you know, like for, for full Bay as an example, we, we found that, um, early on, a lot of folks were having these meetings with tech similar to what the discussion you just described, and it's always too late. And so one of the things that we did was start to put it right in front of the technician. So it's real time. So they can see how they're performing on efficiency metrics. And, um, do you, do you run into that a lot where folks just don't understand the concept of efficiency or there's no structure in place or, or they always hear about it way too late? Um, what's so your, with us,
0: yeah. So with us, we're, We're kind of leading on that, I want to say, because we're very much a numbers, we'll put numbers out there and we'll show weekly tech efficiencies and everything. So we're on top of that. But I think we're even lies the problem with, with, with technicians itself is they still don't, no matter how much you talk about it and stuff, they still don't get it. I mean, because I literally train that as one of the beginning classes, right? So when you come in as a tech, you, you hear about it and you know about it. When they come back in throughout their careers, we're talking about it. But it's like, it's almost like it's still, and I don't know how do you keep it in the forefront of their mind to show them that, but it's no matter whether you show them it and keep it in the forefront, it seems to be forgotten about. So I'd love to be able to figure out or talk to somebody that's got it to keep it in the forefront. And if like you get, like you said, if if your program is showing that maybe that's what they need, something that's more instead of weekly, Maybe it's minute by minute and they're
2: like a player scoreboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, we we have a shop, a big, a fairly big shop in Minnesota. I was out there rolling them out a few years back, and you know we've got all ages, young, young young guys, uh, older guys, and um, when it was all said and done, when they realized they could do voice to text, they could see their real time stats, they were like, actually, this ain't so bad. It kind of made them want to work harder, or like they, to your point, you knew they wanted to be on their number on Wednesday. So they knew I was leaving by Friday and they were trying to figure out how did they know where their numbers are? And then now they recruit people. Hey, we got this tool. We see this, we know exactly where we are. We know, we know what the incentives are. It's like
1: you're playing a pickup game. You play a little bit differently if you're keeping score, if you're just shooting around, if you start keeping score, suddenly like the effort notches up. So anyway, I like that. Yeah. So you go to the rental, um, the rental place. Uh, So all this time you're doing light duty, right? So you went from the shop.
0: Yeah.
1: So you're doing gas basically.
0: Yep. And, and very, very, a lot of maintenance. And here was the, the the caveat that they liked with me was that I was really well-rounded plus certified as a Chevy tech. And that was, they had 90% of their fleet was general motors. Mm. Um, I was willing to, you know, a car comes in and the window doesn't work. I was willing to take the door panel apart and pull the switch out and say, "Okay, uh, we don't have a switch available. They got to order it." But what's what's going on with it? I mean, is it literally broke, or is it just the contacts in there that just need to be tweaked because somebody pounded it down? So I would do something as simple as that, pull it apart, and get the window functional again. Send them out the door. Um, Literally, I think it was about two months. I became the service manager. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, this, I'm not like busting my knuckles anymore, but I'm still very much involved. That's yeah.
1: interesting. And I, you know, enough to question the text and stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I love that switch panel
2: example. Uh, we, there's a switch panel. My a friend of mine's car wasn't, wasn't working. The panel was going to cost him a few thousand dollars when it was all said and done. I said, well, let me take a look at it. And I took the panel off and I, I used a mass airflow sensor because it's a specific type of cleaner. And so yeah, I cleaned yeah. off the contacts, which, you know, doesn't leave a residue And yep. darned if that thing didn't start functioning like a champ, he's still running the same switch today. <laughs> yeah, yes,
0: and That's exactly it. I just, I look at different things like that and be like, okay, why there? It's either going to be broke, broke. Yep. <laughs> I can't fix it in need parts or it's like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be able to do something here. Maybe I can fabricate something different and make it work. And yeah. that's just, that's been my concept.
1: I, I love that concept. I love the, the idea of, and I think it can actually be really good for shops too, because if you think about it, if you say that, say you're going to charge the customer 500 bucks either way, and whether it's to buy a part and sell it to them or to fix the part that's there, right? So it's in the form of labor hours. Yep. Um, it's, it's actually in the shop's best interest to do it in the form of labor hours because the margin money. is so much better. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. If you're just going to mark up a part, I mean, you're going to get that markup, but um, I, I think a lot of times uh, you, you just want to swap out parts, but sometimes things can be fixed and maybe maybe it's a win-win also. So the, ch- the customer gets charged less, but the shop actually makes more money. Everybody comes out in the end because the money is not necessarily going to the parts distributor
0: yep yep i uh, totally agree with you on that and uh it's hard because i've through the years i've seen a mix of technicians where I almost say 50 50 right half of them want to just throw their hands in the air that well looks like it's broke i have to order a part and then the other half will like want to dig into it and say uh you know what i think with some smaller parts we can make this bigger part function and get the guy out of the shop and get him rolling
2: yeah. You know, what's interesting is um, we, I just was talking to a few larger shops that, you know, because back when I was, uh, so I was doing some wrenching when you were doing wrenching and, you know, we we would rebuild starters, rebuild alternators. We, we were like, you, you would rebuild that stuff. You just didn't, there wasn't an auto zone down the street. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they, later, they later on came around, you know, and you, know, you always had your Nappas and Fleet Prides and whatnot and CarQuest. Yep. The um, I just was talking to a few shops that are going back to rebuilding, and it, it's just cheaper. They can get a quali- they can get quality internals, build it, and not have to worry about the warranty side. And then to your point, Jacob, they've got low, low parts cost, it's labor they're recouping and if they if their tech's down and they do it during slow times right they'll rebuild more when it's slower um Mm -hmm. and then those parts they can get more margin yeah it's interesting
1: um i don't want to take us too far on a tangent but um i've been thinking a lot about this uh this concept of like knowing your margin on labor versus parts and how important that is and this just like serves to further illustrate that because if you truly know the metrics in your shop um, down to that level, decisions like that become obvious. Like you start discovering these things in your shop that you can do to, to to make things run better and more profitable. And it's actually, in a lot of ways, it's like more satisfying, like intrinsically rewarding to to make something work. It's like the pioneer yeah. attitude, like make a do or a do without or whatever. But
0: anyway. And there's a, there's a line, and again, not to keep it going, but there's a line that you got to look at too, right? I mean, if you're six hours deep into something trying to fix it, would you just have been better off two hours into it Um, line off, and right. Exactly.
1: There's a point of diminishing returns, right. And, um, and it it probably sucks to hit that because you might have to eat some of that time. Is the customer really going to pay you that much time for experimenting with, uh, uh, with fixing it. And so, yeah, for sure. There's a
0: line.
2: Well, a torch and a welder always makes money.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I've done a lot of, uh, gas welding with coat hangers. (laughs)
2: <laughs> exactly
0: you too <laughs> yeah yep so, so yeah my uh my career then kind of took off at the at the management level at that point in time of my life and that's when it was like wow like i said what's cool for me is a small shop and these guys i had, for the short time that I was there i i guess the the respect thing was was very full for me because like when i came out as their boss now and if I was upset about something, they knew I had reason to be upset. That I just wasn't coming out to be that that bad guy. And the same group, we could go out on Friday nights and drink, be merry, have a great time, and know Monday morning that we all had jobs to do and 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 different roles. So it was cool group.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Very cool. So is that where you left to go to Iowa?
0: No, it's not. <laughs> so. <laughs> So my, my bump in the road was my dad with the excavating business seemed to have had some health issues and it at that point in time was unknown. Uh, and, and again, that's where I, I, you know, I look back in my life and saying, man, how, how, how did we even survive the roller coaster ride of ups and downs that we did? So when I got to that point, my dad's health and it was like, OK, I'll come back and work for you. Uh, you know, but what, what can it pay me? What can it do for me? I mean, it's, I'm willing to take a little bit of a pay cut here. So I took, uh, again, went backwards, took a significant pay cut, um, but went back working with the family excavating business. And uh, the kicker was the caveat for me was like, dad, you got to give me a truck. I need one of the work trucks, the pickup trucks, because as a Manager there at the car rental place, I literally had my choice of any vehicle off the lot when I left for the day. So that was one of the great perks is being a manager there. But I ended up getting our work truck, and uh, I spent a couple years with him. Um, the health issue wasn't as as bad as we all thought, but it you know it seemed like it at that time. Through those years, um, I actually was in the background as a volunteer fireman. So I was a volunteer fireman since I was eighteen. <laughs> and the local business. And one night I get a phone call from our local counselor. And I'm like, why is this guy calling me? He says, hey, I would like to uh, back and support you for this year's election. I would like you to run for highway superintendent. Hmm. Now, granted, I'm like early thirties, married uh, from outside and typically back then small towns, you only got that ranking from coming up through from within. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it, you typically were a town employee and then got that.
1: So and now this is not in Syracuse. This is back upstate.
0: In the, Yep. Upstate and in a little it. town. Yep. So I'm like, okay, so I, I got some supporting and, and he kind of sold it really well. Cause he was like, you know, I watched you at one of the local meetings with the uh, department of conservation and you were, Speaking on behalf of the fire company because I had always been in rank with the fire company, and uh, he goes, "Everybody knows you from the fire company. Your dad's got a very reputable business locally." He goes, "I I think you can easily do this." Unbeknownst to me, I was going to run against our acting town supervisor. So here's the person that's already, you know, lead uh, king of the of the township themselves that I'm going to run against. Hmm. And I'm coming from the outside in and lo and behold, I won the election at a, at a, so I was one of the youngest ones in our County wow. to, to ever be a highway superintendent. Now, yeah. is
1: that a, that's a town position or a County position?
0: That's a town position.
1: So yep. you're, you're position. in charge of keeping the roads maintained and, and so forth, right?
0: Yep. Yep. So at a younger age, um, never working with a million people plus dollar budget of a highway department before learned to crunch numbers and be, uh, very politically correct with the public during meetings. Cause I'm a, I'm a pretty straightforward shooter kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not going to just go and do something because Mm -hmm. you want me to, it's going to have to have reason and purpose behind it for me. So, so any
1: discussions from,
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh yeah. So, uh, the, the, with a two year term. And, uh, the gentleman that ran against me the first year ran the second time and, and came back in full vengeance. And unfortunately I lost by like a handful of votes and I'm like, well, it is what it is. I had my taste of politics. I'm, I'm good with it, but that's where another roller coaster bump comes in. And it's like, okay, so my term ends January. Um, you, it's January in Northern New York. You just typically don't jump into a job somewhere. <laughs> and i ended up going back to work i found a fleet uh shop and that's where like i literally was like back to like hourly wages like 16 bucks an hour or 18 bucks an hour that now my wife is uh, uh a new mom we've got a newborn and i'm back on the floor turning wrenches at a, at a very minimal you know from where i had been minimal rate and i'm like hey you know what it's it's going to pay the bills and I support
1: work. family basically. Yeah. yeah you're willing. Yep. To.
0: I work godly hours. What year was this Ray? Uh, so this would have been my uh, 2004. My son was born. So 2003, 2004 that transition was another, you know, like I said, one of them roller coaster dips mm-hmm. and uh, going back, but yeah, it's, it's like you say, the good thing though that I can relate to is I was still able to be, um, technically involved because of the skill set that I had so I could jump into something and go back and use my you skills. had
1: a skill set to fall mm-hmm. back on yeah my my dad always uh tried to instill that in us is so your son was born 2003
0: 2004 2004
1: yep and is this your son
0: named Diesel Yeah that's my son that's uh that's <laughs> how how proud of the industry uh passion I have so I named him Diesel Well it was an-
1: named if had you been a Chevy still I mean cuz that was in <laughs> the in the in play era. yeah
0: I don't know if we, he would have come out Silverado or what? I don't know.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. It,
0: it, it was a, it was a very interesting conversation on the ride home when, uh, when we finally found out that, yep, she's pregnant. It's good to go. We're, we're, this is happening for us. Right. And uh, I said, all right, we know what the boy, I said, I'm going to think of the first name I said, and I have one in mind already. I said, but you have to come up with the middle name so that if he doesn't, or it doesn't work out with his first name. He can use his middle name or possibly use his initials.
1: Give him some so, options.
0: Yeah. Yep. So she came up with Owen. So his middle name is Owen. So it's Diesel Owen Clark with the initials of Doc. So he's called and called everything from D to Diesel to Doc. Hmm.
1: Wow.
0: And, Diesel is and, uh, a name.
1: Her yeah. The diesel, the German who invented the diesel engine. Yeah.
0: And I told him, I said, yep. man, you got, you got a pretty strong name. You got to live up to it. You can't be, uh, you can't be weak by no means.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. So you're, you're turning wrenches for like 16, maybe 18 bucks an hour working long hours. And that's, that's when you guys find out you're expecting and.
0: Yep. Yeah. you got a newborn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, going through it. And then I I even told the owner at that time that hired me and I said, hey, look, I I don't, you know, by no means take this the wrong way, but this is kind of a stepping stone. I've been, you know, and I've been a highway superintendent, I've been in management. And I said, I'm looking for that next management position. So I believe it was only a couple of years there on the floor. And uh, dealership. Actually, you might know the name. Have you ever heard of Tracy Road Equipment? Because that was in Syracuse. They had five branches then.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it does sound familiar. does sound familiar. I was really young yep. too. Most of my family uncles, they're still out there actually. <laughs> okay.
0: And uh, they, they have both equipment rentals and sales along with Freightliner dealership. And like I said, they had five, uh, five different locations and they were looking for a service manager in their Watertown branch. So I was like I'm applying and the kicker was both the two techs myself and that shop foreman both applied for the service manager's job up there and I think mostly because I've already had the background in equipment and and management uh, they hired me on to Tracy Road Equipment. So I believe that was six or seven and I spent uh, eight or nine years there at Tracy Road Equipment and I kind of Kept raising my hand and uh, wanting to take that next level step towards the end there. And uh, we had corporate service manager and I'm like, you know, I, I think I could be suited for that. I really like this. I want to, I want to go out. I want to keep pushing for best practices and stuff like that. And I was overlooked, overlooked, overlooked. And I was like, man, this is bugging me. Why, why am I not even getting looked at here? So I had a good rapport with our CFO and I just, came right out and asked him, I said, Hey, what's, what's going on? Why are, I mean, I've seen our corporate service managers come and go. And I'm like, I've raised my hand. I threw my name in the hat and and not even a whisper of it. And he's like, Ray, why you're, we don't want to pull you out of the Watertown store. You're, you're profitable. You're one of the only locations. that's always consistent with profitability in in our service departments. Why would we do that? Hmm. So I was like, man, that's what's bugging me. So I'm like, so I told the wife, I said, you know, I'm how farther am I going to go? I mean, I'm, I'm looking for the next step in my career, in my life. And I said, to do that, I, we got to go to a bigger location, bigger dealership. It could be out of state. And, uh, I kept my eye on monster back then. It was monster was the big recruiting page and online
1: Hmm. Are they still around monster? <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. 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 I'm with you. Are they, are they still in, uh, I haven't even paid attention to anything. I, I know. Uh, it, I don't
2: know. It's a good indeed question.
0: The big one now.
2: Yeah. I think indeed's the big one now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so still, just,
0: just I found mind. the ad in, uh, for Dubuque Iowa truck country for a service manager and it was like 14 hours old and I'm like, Oh, cool. So I jokingly said to the wife, I said, Hey, how do you feel about the Midwest? Why? What do you mean? I said, well, I'm gonna throw my resume into uh, Truck Country's dealership in Dubuque, Iowa. Where's Dubuque, Iowa? I said, it's out in the Midwest. <laughs> she goes, yeah, whatever, whatever. So she kind of thought I was joking, like, and I sent it in. And, and the funny story is, it literally went from a resume to a phone call, and that phone call conversation was like, yeah, you'll be hearing from our recruiting uh, department, you know, in a week or so. To a follow-up phone call the day after saying, do you have any time off? We'd like to fly you out here. And I'm like, so what happened to the week, you know, delay in the recruiting. And they're like, well, you interviewed well on the phone. I kind of want to get you out here and meet you in person. And uh, literally that's when it took uh, that following Tuesday, I was on a plane headed out to the Midwest and it was, there's where I'd made my, my jump from New York because uh, I pretty much gave them the answer that day. Hmm.
1: And by the way, Chris, uh, Dubuque, if you didn't know, is right on the corner of Illinois, Wisconsin and Iowa, right there on the Mississippi River. Um, Yeah. uh, How do you fly into Dubuque, by the way?
0: So Dubuque does have a regional. So you can go from Syracuse to Chicago into Dubuque. Okay. Okay. That's probably uh, or like with you guys, if you were ever to fly into that area, probably the best thing would do is go straight to Cedar Rapids. And you're about an hour from the Dubuque location area. And just make a drive.
2: So, just so yep. you know, I do uh, have family uh, in Dubuque. We, well, uh, <laughs> so it's uh, Davenport. Oh, right. Davenport. 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 So, okay. Uh, All right. We That's had a little close. ice cream stand in Davenport, my great uncle. And so my uh, my stepfather was from there. Okay. It's right across wow. the road from Moline, right? John <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say
0: Moline, John Deere. Yeah, yeah,
2: Moline. That's where he worked on the railroad, and yeah. So anyway, hmm. I think Jerry. Yeah, we've
0: now. got a location. We've got a dealership there in Davenport, also.
2: Yeah, that's an old town. I the, uh, I think we drove out there in the '80s, late '80s, huh. in a camper. In a camper. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we had, well, we had the the we had the Ford truck. So my dad was a Ford fan. So I want to say we took a '70, gosh, maybe it was a '76 or maybe it was a '72 Ford uh, three quarter ton with big old 165, uh uh, 12, 12 16 fives on the back. It's a big old wide bias supply tires. Yep. Cab over camper shell. And us kids were nice. playing cards and hanging over, you know, like hanging over the cab, staring at the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, those were the days. Nice. That's
1: awesome. Yep. So, okay. So now you're truck country and, um, and you've been there ever since, right? Yeah, That's past so, years. so you, you coming in as a service manager and yep, uh, yep. It, it tell us what happened there.
0: So coming as a service manager, um, five years ago, kind of looking same thing. I got, uh, I got kind of pumped and stoked saying, Hey, I really want to take that next jump. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to take a step into something more, <clears throat> but my, the whole time, and I've always told my, any of my VPs or general managers, I said, hey, I never want to, I don't want to be the general manager because I know there's a lot of sales involved in that. And I'm just, I'm just not that kind of guy. I'm not going to, I just can't sell a truck and and make profit off like things like that. It's just, it's just not me. I want to stay in the service side. So our training center was in a little town called Cuba city and pretty much was kind of just operated via the trainers i mean our our vp of safety and hr kind of oversaw it in full when it came to big financials but pretty much it was self-ran by the instructors so worked with my general manager then and said hey you know our training department now our training center had moved out of the little city in cuba city there and moved up into dubuque and i said you know really, if they want to keep, if we want to keep going as a company, man, we need to, we need to get some management, some good, solid leadership in-house. And, uh, we started talking with the VP and then my conversation went straight to the VP and he says, well, sell it to me. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I created the position and sold it to him. And, uh, they gave it to me. And the cool thing was, is I started working with Indianapolis and they had just put a training center up here in June of last year. And my partner on this side of the fence, Mike Moore, great guy, 40 plus years in the industry. Um, oop, hang on guys. Uh, no problem. And I want to make sure you guys can hear me, but uh, he, a lot of experience and we wanted to start kind of, merging together with one thought process in our training. So with that said, uh, unbeknownst to me in the early days, he was going to retire within a year. And so a year ago he retired and, and my goofy self raised my hand again and said, Hey, you know what? I think I can do them both. So now I oversee both our Indianapolis training center for the Stoops organization, which is at Indiana, Ohio, and then our truck country, uh, training center in Dubuque, Iowa, that, does everything for wisconsin uh even minnesota iowa and uh one store now in illinois
1: that's cool that's cool so what you know just reading through the notes here um you've got uh by the way my son was born around the same time as diesel uh i was born in 2003 so he's 17 just turned 17 and uh he's uh I'm not a technician uh, myself. I wish I were, he is naturally got it. So he's really good with his hands and Chris knows he's a better Can-Am driver than I am. Right. Chris? Oh yes. So, uh, <laughs>
2: well, Ray, there's two things about Hugh, uh, Jacob's son. One, if, uh, if Jacob's following you in a Can-Am and you're doing over 30 plan on helping pull cactus That's not out true. of <laughs> true. <laughs> and then well, the other thing, if Jacob goes to work for just too long and too many days and his son is at home, he's, He's uh, he's he has the tendency to uh, do things like cut the muffler out of the uh, van, straight pipe the family <laughs> van. Yeah. yeah. Straight oh pipe. my They're God! The-
0: nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I made him put it back. Uh, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a, like sleepy neighborhood, and my wife's coming up in the van, straight piped. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really work. But um, but family. It seems like family's really big for you. Yes, it very much. Yeah. Very motivation. Yeah. How have they handled the move from New York to Iowa?
0: So that was kind of interesting too, because my thought and theory was we already lived in the countryside. He was very young. And I'm like, man, if we move back to the countryside, he's already alone. He doesn't know anybody. Is he going to be kind of feeling left out? So I'm like, okay, let's move into a kind of a city type setting area where maybe he's got a neighborhood of some buddies he can hang around or meet. And uh, so we ended up, moving into a little little town that was west of Dyer, or, uh, Dubuque called Dyersville. So I'm about 30 minutes from from the city of Dyersville. Uh, I've gone from having five acres and nobody around me besides cow, cow pastures and uh, farmland to literally uh, 10 feet of space between houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in reality, it's been a very good move. I, I, he's done great. He hasn't fallen behind in any schools. He's met friends. Um, my wife's even kind of, she's kind of a, my selling tactic for that on that note was she didn't have to work. If I took this job,
2: hmm. There you so go.
0: that tricker. was, that was the <laughs> kicker. That that's what got me out here. That's great. But Yeah. Uh, they took it pretty well. And uh, you know, we, we joking uh, my wife and I jokingly say, Hey, well, you know, the one thing is that, mom doesn't have to come out and visit so often anymore. Cause it's so far away. And I'm like, well, I don't mind your mom. <laughs> <laughs> You're good with all the family.
1: Yeah. yeah cool. Well, um, Ray, we really appreciate your time. And, um, before we wrap up, I, one question I am curious of if you, and you probably have these conversations all the time, but for someone who is a teenager now and is considering uh, their options, do I go to college, technical college? Is that, are they even aware that that exists and so forth? What would you say to, I guess, a teenager who is good with their hands into mechanical stuff and might be kind of feeling the pull to be uh, go to college, rack up a bunch of debt for a, humanities degree which may be the right fit for some people but not not for these people because you know we have the technician shortage today yeah and um the people that could be technicians that would fill that shortage are are still on the planet they're just doing other things that they may not even be happy with right Uh, because there's this imbalance in in how we communicate this stuff to kids what would you say to a teenager like that who would be successful but may not even know it exists
0: do your homework and 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 look into some technical schools. Um, the opportunity is out there. I mean, you've got UTI, you got Ohio diesel, Wildtech, tech, Lincoln tech, Ivy tech. I mean, there's a lot of these programs out there and I think the marketing side for those schools is not pronounced enough even. And I, I think it even goes back into the counselor's pocket. And I've had this discussion before that it's, it's kind of, That's one of my my stingers for me is that you get in conversations with counselors that, oh, well, this student needs French class or Spanish class because you're going to need that for a four year degree. And it's like, okay I've met this kid. He's not a four year kid. So why don't you give some opportunities or open the door for some of these local community colleges or tech schools that have programs like diesel or automotive or carpentry or plumbing or electrical. I mean, that's probably my biggest gripe out there right now is, is trying to get our schools and our counselors on the same page as us, because I think they look at it as, ah, that's just, they don't, you don't want to do that. That's a dirty job. Well, I hate to say it, but some of these counselors really should go to some of our dealerships, parking lot and watch what these even new techs watch what these boys drive in and out of the parking lot in. I mean, some very nice vehicles Mm. because in three to five years with some training, I mean, we've got, we've got technicians with five plus years that are easily doing 80 plus thousand with very minimal type background of schooling and stuff. So I would just tell kids in high school right now is, if it's not a four year forecast for you, I mean, if that's not your Avenue, then, then look around, but just don't say, "Ah, there's nothing out there for me. You just, the doors don't open on their own. You got to turn them yourself. So I would say, look around and see because there are a lot of avenues and opportunities to get into this technical field
2: and what's what would you know just to help with some of the listeners uh what, what would be the average salary or what, what could a, a technician make a diesel mechanic make or an auto mechanic make depends on the region but yeah yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like, so, a lot of folks think that it's a thirty thousand dollar job and that's it you're only going to make 30 you're going to be at poverty or something what, what, what is the going rate or what do you pay technicians at a dealership or at a major uh,
0: so uh, one of the things that we've done recently and and just to that is we've kind of built kind of a, a pay scale a pay plan so it's no different than like like the military or some of these places where you go or even state jobs. It's like okay, so I'm going to start here and I get X, but when I get trained or my next level is going to be here and my pay scale goes up with it. So you could start out with anywhere between, if we look at it, an hourly rate. And I know some people are like, oh well, that's that's kind of low, fifteen to eighteen dollars an hour. And it is kind of, I guess, if you want to equal it out and playing fields it is kind of that average starting pay but here's what i think the industry does that people don't pay attention to because like like you led on to is that they're not going to be always there right it's it's up to the individual because we've got training we've got certifications we've got incentives from efficiency and all that so your pay scale you can like i said you can look at being three to five years into it and and bumping five dollars an hour more in your pay scale and then keep I mean, just keep right on going. We've got guys, I guarantee you we've got guys doing well over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Most of them barely getting dirty because they're diagnostic techs. They're working off the laptops, um, you know, and and they're living a nice life. So it's a very good industry. And I, and I, I can't preach that enough. I'm not saying that you don't have to start out at the bottom, right? You're going to have to push broom. You're going to have to clean floors. You're going to have to grease a truck and get dirty, but like anything, right. You, you just don't get to the top because it's given to you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's when we, you know, we, we started our own garage and we were in the twenties, we had uh, texts into the thirties and to your point, um, per, per hour. And then, I mean, like it was, it was nothing to see some of these guys easy, 60, 70, 80,000. And then, you know, those, those, uh, technical technicians using, uh, software going up into the six figures. So yeah, I think uh, people don't think you can make that kind of a living and, uh, provide it's, it's wrong. I mean, you see, you see the full range of
1: salaries in this industry. There's nothing, uh, wrong with it. In fact, uh, the opportunity is actually incredible because there's so few people coming into it right now. Um, so when you compare uh, commercial repair to any other industry, I think it stacks up really well. The owners, yeah. owners that are running a tight ship do really well. And technicians that uh, keep improving themselves seem to do really well. So really yeah, thoughtful comments, right? Hey, Ray, uh, bonus question before you go, yep. what are you guys doing? Um, what are your thoughts and what are you guys doing to I guess, prepare for the potential of electric taking over and maybe with that fuel cells, hydrogen fuel cells and so forth. Um, how real do you think that is? What's the timeline? What are you guys doing in that area? So
0: when, when I look at it here from my perspective on training, right, is how do we get prepped for that and stuff? So what little I've heard directly from uh, DTNA themselves, but what I'm reading and keeping up on, honestly, it, it's a lot to still get out there. I don't think we're going to see anything for 10 plus years or more to really start worrying about, do we get our techs into it? So I've heard 2045 on some numbers before we truly see full production go on, on these things. So really it's, it's kind of in the back of my mindset, but not leading up to where we have to start prepping the train technicians in a different path but I, I, I do know it's coming. So I know it's out there, uh, a
1: little bit more technological conversions that needs to happen. Yeah. Battery capacity and so forth. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, thanks for your thoughts on that. Well, Ray Clark, thank you so much for, for coming on with us and discussing your story. And, uh, it's great to get to know you better. And, uh, we, uh, hope to meet you in person sometime and, uh, hope to talk soon.
0: Yeah, no, thank you very much. Uh, It's great, uh, great conversation. And again, appreciate the invite. So thank you guys.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ray. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diesel Stories Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and check out dieselstories.com for more episodes.